Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. All right, brothers and sisters, we turn our attention this morning to the Word of God, and uh, we continue in the book of Matthew, and I'd like to ask you to follow along on the screen or to, to follow along in your Bibles if you have them as we turn uh, the page from Matthew 9 to Matthew 10. And uh, we've made it through nine chapters of Matthew, including the Sermon on the Mount in the course of the last year. We'll see how far God allows us to go this year. And I'm excited about it. These are great passages from the Word of God. And, and our Savior, whose life is recounted in these, in these verses, is beyond compare, beyond compare. So we look forward to what God does and what he shows us in this coming year. Will you stand with me as we read Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4? Jesus has just said, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. And immediately uh, having said that, he acts upon what he has said. Now, we're not getting into the fullness of it uh, because the fullness is going to be starting to be looked at next week. But this is the, the beginning. This is the preface to it. Matthew 10, 1 through 4. And having said this, having said, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll attend the preaching of your word and our consideration of it together, mine as well as all of ours, Father, with your Holy Spirit that that what is said and what is received may not just be words, but may be through the Spirit, powerful and convicting. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, your glorious Son, our Lord. Amen. We see in this passage the, the beginning of the missionary movement. Jesus is beginning his, his work of sending others out. Having been out himself, having been introduced to the, to the world by his his cousin John the Baptist, now Jesus is beginning the great thing that, that is the work of the disciples and your work and mine, sending us out, clothing us with power and authority to do the work of God, to call the world to God. And in this day, in this, in this time of life we are in, it's a wonderful time to be sent out. It's a time when, the, when the, the contrasts are clear. The kingdom of God and the darkness of the world are more visible than when I was a child 
it's, it's no longer as confusing to say, is it, is it Christian just to be American? When I was in seminary, I lived with a dear old lady who allowed me to live in her basement for free just for being around the house, a wealthy old lady. And, uh, and I, I talked to her about how I had become a Christian. In the years that I lived with her, two years, I came alive in the Lord and I told her I became a Christian. And she looked at me and she said, but David, and she was about 80, and she said, but David, you're an American. You were born a Christian. And I had to explain to her that, no, as an American, I was not born a Christian, nor was she. And I don't know if it ever made it through to her. But we understand in this darkness that to be an American is not to be a Christian. We look around us and we see, we see the, the forces of, of darkness, the forces of Satan gathering power. We see the contrasts and the, and the contest more clearly than ever before in light. And perhaps we're even frightened by it. Perhaps it looks to us like something that we should be scared about. And I want to say to you that there's no fear in this. These are the days to be alive. These are the days to be following God. This is the great time of our lives. To be a follower of God in a day like this when the forces of Satan... And we see the hand of God, don't we sense it? We were as a family over at Sweet Retreat the other day, or no, what's the big ice cream? Mr. Freeze, excuse me. We were at Mr. Freeze in Perrysburg, and someone came and said, guess what? Justice Ginsburg just died. And we say, God is at work. Can we deny the reality of the, of the, the forces that are at play today and the, the odds that we face and the stakes that are before us. They're immense. And in this kind of time, we need to be as strong as God has called us to be. And that means that we must know certain things in our hearts, in our souls, from the tip of our head to the soles of our feet. Chief among these things which we must know is that God is powerful and second, we must know, and I speak, I know this morning when I say this to a subset of those who are here, not everyone I can say this of, not everyone this is addressed to. And I'll speak to those of you who may know that you're outside this at the end, and I have some words for you and some instruction from God, I believe, for you. But um, for this subset... The subset I'm speaking of are those who are chosen by God for eternal life. Those who have been chosen. And I want to speak to you about the glory and the power that comes from having been chosen by God. Now I understand that to some, the idea of God having chosen certain people is offensive. And that there are some who would say, we don't need to dwell on that. We need to dwell on the love of God. These are times when we need not only to dwell on the love of God, but as we have dwelled on the love for, for many years as a church in America, we now need to dwell on the power of God and the fear of God and the glory of God and the sovereignty of God and not just on the love of God, which is a subset of all that God is. But God is not just love, he is light. 
And light exposes darkness, and light is powerful, as is the love of God. The love of God is not a sweet puppy love. It's a powerful love. It sent Jesus to die. It is a love that is vaster than our conception of it. And so I want to speak to you of the choice of God. You're being chosen by God. And not shy away from it and not hold it back and say, well, we'll keep that in the rear of the van. We don't want it being visible to the outside world. We'll put it back where the tinted glass is so no one has to look in on it. We're going to put it up in the front in the driver's seat. I married a, a, a glorious woman. And I knew when I married her that there were certain guys in the, in the group that we were a part of in the church where I met her who were jealous of me. Who didn't like the fact that I'd gotten Cheryl. And uh, the fact that there were people who didn't like it that I'd gotten Cheryl didn't mean that I told her to stay home. <laughs> I'm not going to tell my glory to stay home just because guys are jealous of it and offended that I got her and they didn't. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You won a prize and you're going to keep that prize out front because it's glorious. Because that woman that you got is, is, is fantastic. You're not going to hide it. Well, let me tell you something. We as a church are not going to hide the fact that God chooses. We're going to glory in the fact that God has chosen and that those he's chosen are most of you, I trust. And again, I'm going to speak to those who can't say they're, they're included in that number at the end. But I'm not starting there. I'm going to end there, all right? What we see here is Jesus taking those who he has chosen. It's an easily passed over passage. You know the details of it already. You recognize the names that I read. We read together a few minutes ago. These names include some that are sort of anonymous to us. How many of us know anything about Thaddeus or Simon other than that he was a zealot? It's not Simon Peter. How many of us know anything about Bartholomew? We know a little bit about Thomas, doubting Thomas. Matthew, who was the tax collector who wrote this book. Know something about James and John, the sons of thunder. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, but we don't know. But then, of course, there are those names that are the brightest in the universe of the Christian. I mean, right up there at the very peak with Moses and Abraham. Among them would be Simon Peter, um, John, the author who was given the book of Revelation and wrote the Gospel of John, just these incredible James, these great, great names. It's right that we stop and consider this epical moment, this transcendent moment in the history of God's people, this moment when Jesus summons his 12 to him and gives them authority. It should take its place in our thinking alongside God summoning Abraham to him in Haran and saying, go, I'm going to make a mighty nation of you, go. I, I have a, a land that is yours and sending him off to Canaan should take its place alongside Samuel being told by God to go to Jesse, where he would find the man who he should anoint to be the king of Israel. He goes to Jesse and the first son and the second son and the third through seven sons, and none of them. God says, no, no, I, I, I look on the heart. You look on the outward. They're impressive, I know, Samuel, but no, they're none of them mine. And then last, coming in from the fields, little David, coming in, and Samuel saying, ah, this is the one. I, what a moment. You know, history hinges upon a moment like that. This is such a moment. It's right there with the, 
the angel appearing to the Virgin Mary and saying, greetings, you who are highly favored of God. <laughs> greetings, you. God has chosen you. Greetings, Mary. God looks on you and he loves you and he's going to do something that the world will never forget through you. And of course, it takes its place alongside the light from heaven on the road to Damascus hitting the Apostle Paul. The world turns on this event. Because of these events, because of what Jesus does here, we are Christians today and the church exists today and there's hope. Because of what happened here, we see in the midst of the darkness today certain things going on that give us hope. I continue to find hope in Kanye West. I continue to find hope in this man having tasted something of the glory of God and continuing to speak of it. Yesterday, my daughter brought to me uh, the lyrics of a song that had been put out by Justin Bieber, along with a rapper. Chance, is it Chance the Rapper? Am I right? And uh, I know the lyrics are sophomoric in certain ways. I mean, they're not the lyrics of a person who, who has studied, and it's, it's not a Charles Wesley. But I, I can't get over the fact that Justin Bieber keeps on talking about God and Jesus. This is, this is a great day to be alive, and it's because of this day that we have our day, and we have these signs of hope because of, because of these men. There are men today who are coming alive. Without these men, there would have been no Paul. You may think that Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles, is the guy that you owe everything to. But remember, long before Paul was on the road to Damascus, these guys were out there while Paul was a persecutor, bringing people to death standing as people were stoned, these guys were out there in all their courage, given the, the circumstances they faced, the courage that comes from knowing that they were chosen. They were out there and they were creating by the power of God a body that loved Jesus and stood for him as Paul was killing them. So don't say it's Paul, it's these men first. With one exception, these were brave men, faithful men, true men, dedicated men, Men who are ready to die for the cause of Christ. Legend, but with some basis for belief, some, some idea that it could be true, has it that of these men, excluding Judas Iscariot, only John the Apostle died a natural death. And in fact, Judas Iscariot did not die a natural death, but the rest all died unnatural deaths because of their witness for Christ, died as martyrs. But while these were brave men, dedicated men, faithful men, above all for our purposes now, Above all, for our purposes in the church today, we take note that these men, most of all, were chosen men. That before anything else happened, God chose them. Chosen, that's the theme. Note also that they were men. All right, I wonder to underline the reality that they are chosen. They are men, it's 12 men. They are chosen men. And, and at this point, it may be that you're saying, well, I don't like the fact that God chooses, but God did choose, and he chose 12 men. Now, do you know how many times we'd have to throw a set of 12 coins uh, over and over again? 12 times. One coin 12 times. How many times would we have to toss it before the odds would say we would come up with 12 heads in a row or 12 tails in a row? Any of you know? It's factorial, I think, right, in mathematics. What? Okay. Well, it's 4,096. 
Okay, I don't, I don't know. I, I looked it up. I went to a calculator. I, but I have Randy right here. <laughs> um, 4,096 sets of 12 before you would end up by statistics with one. In other words, you'd, you'd be throwing coins. We could, we could grab Jordan Doherty and ask him to throw a coin, and he'd be throwing coins for three days before it would happen. This is no mistake. This is not chance. This is the choice of God. God chooses. Jesus, the great liberator, Jesus who came to set people free, did not choose a female disciple. He didn't. He is choosing, and the fact of his choice is the power of the church. We can't dismiss the right of God to choose and have the power that comes from his choice. When we throw out the right of God to choose, we throw out the power that comes with his choice. This is a truth, and we must return to it. It's in the Bible. It's everywhere. From Jacob, whom God loved, and Esau, whom he hated, to Peter, the rock in Judas, the betrayer. It is just plain biblical truth. But uh, it's common sense. If you're, if you're caviling, if you're saying in your mind, but, but, let me say to you, really, in common sense, you understand this as well. You can either have creation choosing, creatures choosing, or you can have a creator choosing. It's that simple. There aren't other options. Either creation is in charge or the creator is in charge. Think for a moment. You're a car designer and you've designed a car. You've, you've put together everything that goes into it. You've given it its engine. You've attached the transmission, designed its interior, its suspension, given it its tires, created the sensors that go into it. You've programmed it. You've given it its self-driving ability. The brain that it uses as it self-drives, you created and programmed. Does it make sense that once you've completed that car, that car is going to go off and ignore you and do whatever it wants? It may not know that you created it. It may not drive down the road saying, I understand that this, this, this set of instructions that guide me come from a creator. But most certainly, it is a creation and it reflects its creator in every decision it makes. Does it make sense that once it's completed, that car begins to decide for itself where it goes, how it gets there? Is it possible for a creator to design himself or herself out of an equation? It's impossible. People say God gives that car freedom. The freedom that allows it to choose its own path. The creator gives his creation the right of self-determination. So suppose for a moment that you could design such a car capable of self-choice and determination. But where is that car placed? Well, it's placed on a road you built, right? Because you created the roads. And all the other roads that connect to it, you created as well. It's not put into a blank universe. It's put into a road system. You design. You design the whole map. And you decide where that car that you just built gets put on the map, right? It's not as though it has the choice of everything. You decide where it goes on the map. No location on that map exists outside your plan and design. You design the entire universe of that car. And that car is given a schedule that you determine. You determine when it starts. You determine when it ends. When it's born, when it dies. You determine those things. And you determine 
whether that car feeds because it needs gas and you provide the gas as God provides the food. By your provision, the gas that you give that car comes to that car. By your decree, there's a drought of gas. That car has no choice on whether there's a drought. You decree it. You place that car in a family of cars. You say, you're a Toyota. You're a Corolla. And that means whole leaps and gobs of things about that car, doesn't it? It's not a, a Hemi pickup. It's a Toyota Corolla. There are advantages that come from being a Toyota Corolla. And there are advantages that come from being a Hemi pickup. But you don't have them both. So you, you understand that as you've made this car, that there are things that it's going to do that other cars can't do. If you have a Wrangler, it's going to climb rocks. It's not going to do so well on the gas mileage. It's going to need more food. That car you created, that self-determining car, has choice as you have choice as its creator. It has choice that you give it. It's the choice of a creature like you and me. It's not the choice of a creator. The creator, Scripture says, does as he wants. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the greatest empire in the whole world, said after he came back to his mind, having been put down by God, he came back to his mind, having been made to go into madness for seven seasons, he comes back and he says, I know no one, no one fights God. He does what he wants with everyone and everything, and I honor him. He's God. It's true. It's true. His creatures, they must come to respect him and understand his control and not rebel against it. Not be like that five-year-old child running away from home saying, I don't need my home, I don't need my mommy, I don't need my daddy, I'm just fine all on my own. Makes more sense for the five-year-old than for you and me with God. It's just not true. We are to live within this home and love it and not pretend to some autonomy that doesn't exist where we can live rejecting God's will, doing whatever pleases us because we think he's just standing on the sidelines watching. This is the problem of mankind. We think we can create God in our image. And that God that we create is not, is not the God that Scripture describes. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He has to give these things over if we're going to be sovereigns. He has to be surprised by what we do. He has to not know because if God knows something, do you think it's not going to happen? He can't know ahead of time. If he knows, then he decrees, right? He's God. How can it be God's knowledge and be our free choice altogether at the same time without any infringement on us by God? The fact of divine choice is the rock on which every human life is either established or sundered. We either are founded on the rock of God's sovereign nature and we find it our strength and our glory or it becomes the thing that we hate and the cause of our rejection of God. We see it here. Jesus called to him his 12 disciples. Now there are thousands who are following him. Thousands, but 12 are called. 
12 chosen to receive authority. We're given their names. The reason we're given their names is that they were chosen. Thousands hear his teaching and his call. Twelve are chosen. Jesus says, a parable about a banquet where the master sends out people into the streets and when, his, when enough don't arrive, the invited guest says, bring everyone in. Okay, this banquet. But it's a wedding banquet and at the end of the banquet as it's closing, he looks down and he sees a guy who's not dressed appropriately for a wedding banquet. And he says, cast him out into the outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. Throw him out. And Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. It's not their choice. It's God's. Jesus says this to his disciples. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. I have chosen you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. I want you to remember that. With the divine call comes, with the divine choice comes a call to do something and a power to do it. All right? You deny the choice and you're denying the power. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. He says this to the 12 at the Last Supper. And you know what we have in our passage today? We have the day that he is speaking, he's speaking of. This is the day he's speaking of. You did not choose me, but I chose you. God chose you. Many of us can look back on a time in our life and say, it became clear to me then that God had chosen me. Now God's choice stands before that day that we come to know he chose us. But we can look back and say, summer of 1984, Alaska, Glen Allen, God chose me. I knew it. It's important to know. God chooses. You fit in the plans of your maker. You don't run on your own. You're no more autonomous than the Tesla driving down the road on autopilot is really autonomous. It's not. Neither are you. Now let's be even more clear about the scope of this calling. We see here 12 men listed. And of course there's the last one on the list. It begins, the list begins with the height kind of with Simon Peter and it ends at the depths. And the last one is and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. You understand that Judas Iscariot is chosen. Is it a mistake? Did this car suddenly take on a life of its own and go and do its own thing in rebellion? Saying to its maker, no, I'm not going to do what you want. No. It did rebel and crash. And it sought to kill its maker. But it was not operating against the choice of God. Later in his ministry, many men and women fall away from Christ because he tells them they must eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. And after the crowds depart and it's thinned down to the 12, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not myself choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant, Scripture tells us, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Look. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. 
Jesus chose Judas. These are deep things. I know they are. But let me tell you this morning, I'm not trying to do an apology for them. Apology is an attempt to persuade you, give a defense, to give a logical argument. I'm not seeking to apologize, to do an apology for these truths. Really, what I want is to provoke you with them, to make you deal with the reality of them. These are truths that Scripture teaches. They are found in every page of the Word of God. I want you to understand this. Judas was chosen to an end. Listen to what Peter says about Judas after the resurrection and after the ascension of Christ. At that time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together. And he said, brethren, Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Scripture foretold Judas, and it had to be fulfilled. Concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he, was account, for he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out and it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language that field was called Hakadama, that is field of blood, for it's written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. You understand that Judas was foretold centuries before he ever came to be. And Jesus chose him knowing this. When Peter says this, it's a chosen man speaking of another chosen man. Scripture foretold Judas appointed to the role, chosen to deny Jesus, yet also chosen to receive discipleship, and given authority by God. Nothing at all indicates at the outset that he was excluded from the authority that the others wielded and received. Nothing. He was one who entered the banquet, yet he wasn't wearing the clothes of the righteous. If Judas is chosen and appointed by the call of Christ, nothing in all creation is outside God's will. Nothing. No evil act no deed, nothing, no terrible lie, no persecution, no Supreme Court justice, no president, no rules that are put up by them. Nothing is outside the will of God. God is in whatever is going on. He has decreed it. No persecution, no love life, no nothing is outside the will of God. God has ordained it it is consistent with his will and his power, and it is good. Now, I understand at this point you're going to say, wait a second, David, how can it be good? And I'm not trying to do an apology. I only want you to acknowledge that Scripture teaches this. There are ways that we are acting on our own underneath the authority of God. I'm not going into those. God is sovereign. Let's be clear about God's choice. Let's not have some kind of proud hissy fit about God calling sinners to do their thing in sinning. Oh, he couldn't do that. The Bible is clear. Judas was appointed. 
And it's not as though Judas wasn't willing. And it's not as though Jesus didn't warn him first. And it's not as though Judas is the only chosen sinner. Every man Jack here is a sinner. Some are notorious sinners. Think of this list. There are four fishermen. A zealot who is a revolutionary, kind of an Antifa type guy. A tax collector, a much more mundane thief. A guy who robs his fellow citizens under the color of law. Perhaps even more despised by the regular people for, their, for his sin than the zealot. No one on this list is going to be given the Nobel Peace Prize. Every one of them is a sinner. The best of them actually denies his Savior three times. The worst betrays him once and weeps bitterly. You and I, all of us together, are under the mighty hand of God. And some of us have been called to follow Jesus. Some. I hope all of us. Realistically, we can say at this moment, only some of us are certain and give evidence that we've been called. Now, I want you to notice that those who are called are not good. They are not righteous. They are not all true to Christ at the point they're called or in the future. And I'm not speaking here just about Judas. I'm talking about the other disciples who quarrel about which of them is greatest. The other disciples who ask if they can sit in special seats to the right and left of Christ when they enter his glory in heaven. Speaking of disciples who deny knowing Jesus, calling down blood oaths upon themselves, sinning terribly in their denial of Jesus by making it an oath. I'm speaking of disciples who want to call down fire from heaven on sinners like them. I'm speaking of men that Jesus said to, you are of your father, the devil. I'm speaking of a man who, to whom Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. They're not righteous men. They're not gloriously holy men in themselves. They are chosen. They are chosen. Wicked men, all of them sinners, yet chosen. And with the fact of choice comes authority and power. And this is where I conclude. If you don't know you're chosen by God, if you doubt God's choice of you, you will never live in this evil day to the glory of God. Those who persevere and triumph in dark times are those who know that they have been chosen by God. Who have the authority of a man or a woman who has been chosen by God. Chosen. Your name entered in God's book. Your name sounding in heaven. You having angels helping you as you fight your battles here on earth. You given the authority of Christ. Winston Churchill said later in life that he felt when he received the officer of prime minister at the dark hours at the beginning of World War II, he said, I felt as if I were walking with destiny and that all my past life had been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. I thought I knew a good deal about it. I was sure I would not fail. Winston Churchill knew God had chosen him to lead the battle. He didn't know God. But he felt it in his bones that he had been set apart for this. 
Are you chosen? Are you chosen? And if God has chosen you, is there authority and power? You understand that even God's choice of demons gives them power. Their power is only from the choice of God. I was reading the Revelations this morning. It was quite striking to me. You know the beast of Revelation. Then there's another beast that comes and gives witness to the first beast. What does it say about the beast in Revelation who persecutes God's people? It says, listen. The word of God says, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. The beginning and the end, it's, it repeats it. It's kind of a weird sentence because it says, there was given to him a, month, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. It was given to him. He got his authority from the Lord Most High. He gets his authority from God. He was chosen and it was given to him says of him, the verse later, it was also given to him to make war with the saints. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them in authority over every people and tribe and tongue and nation was given him. And you say, oh, I don't like that. Oh. Do you think God is giving authority to the beast in a way that's going to overcome you? The, in a way that's going to beat you and cause you to lose? He overcomes the saints. The saints are being overcome all around the world right now. All around the world, defection, Judas's, everywhere. Every pastor you read about who has gone and had sex with a woman in his church as a pastor is a Judas. And they are being overcome all around the world by the power of Satan. But God's chosen are not defeated. God's chosen cannot be defeated. A few verses later, it says of the second beast, it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. You understand, they're chosen and given something, and that something they're given is authority. And they operate under the authority that God has given them. God has called you to be his son. What are you doing? What difference are you making? How are we not winning? This is our victory to understand that we are chosen by God. What this world needs is 12 men who know that they have been chosen as at the resurrection because they chose a replacement for Judas, Matthias. Men who know that they're chosen. Women who know that they're chosen. Men and women who know the vast, incredible privilege of having been chosen by God. Men who walk with the power of having been chosen. You know that in, later in the New Testament, both Peter and John make a big point at the beginning of epistles later on in the, in the New Testament saying, John, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of, of his majesty. We beheld his glory on the mountaintop. He says, I, I was chosen and I saw him in his heavenly glory. And John says, he whom we speak of, we have touched. We have been with him. The glory of this choice and how, 
the knowledge of having been with Jesus is their power for decades to come. They are chosen. Now I close by saying, well, what if you don't know that you have been chosen? What if you sit in your seat this morning and say, I'm not convinced I've been chosen. What is there for me? Do you have not a blessing for me? Well, I do. The Word of God does, more importantly. Scripture, especially these books that we're in right now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is full of examples of people who had not been chosen, at least to their knowledge, but who went after Jesus and received his choice. And they are an incredible example for you. Okay, so let me just list a few. We have the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus says, I'm not going to heal your daughter. I've come for the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. And she says, yes, yes, please, please. But, and he says, it's not right to give the bread that belongs to the children to the dogs. Implying that she's a dog, a Gentile dog. She says, yes, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. Is she rejected? Absolutely not. She receives. She says, daughter, your faith is great. And their daughter was healed. Think about blind Bartimaeus. That man who'd heard about Jesus and knew that Jesus was walking nearby. And he just stands in the middle of the crowd. That blind man, he doesn't know where he is or what he's doing. But he's screaming at the top of his lungs. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm not going to yell like he was. It would blast your ears. Jesus, son of mercy, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. People are saying to him, shut up, be quiet, we're tired of it, you're getting on our nerves, the master doesn't want you, look, there's thousands of people here, just shut your mouth. He perseveres. He perseveres and Jesus hears him and Jesus says, you have received today. He's healed and he praises God. Think of the woman with the issue of blood comes up and says, I have to have it. I, and she's scared, but she reaches out. She's not vocal like Bartimaeus. She's the opposite. She's scared, she, but she's not too frightened to reach out and grab his tunic. Look, some of you can shout. Some of you can just grab, but grab the tunic of God. She was healed. Best of all is the story of the thief on the cross. Lived his whole life, lived it in violence and wickedness. He admits, as he's being crucified on the side of Christ, that we deserve this. He says to the other thief, we deserve our fate. This is something we deserve. We've done it. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, when you enter your glory, remember me. And Jesus says to that thief, this very day, you will be with me in glory, in paradise. Look. It's folly to think we can operate at the level of God. We're his creation. We can't understand it all. We can't know it all. But we can know him. And he's told us he's merciful. And that he does not want any to perish. But all to come to everlasting life. He tells us this. So go to him. Pull on his tunic. Yell his name in the darkness. Say I need you Jesus. And I know Jesus. And I can tell you that if you ask him, you will be chosen. He is not the head of a team who's saying, no, I don't want you. 
No, I don't want you. The one who's screaming, choose me, choose me. He goes for the one who says, choose me. And he makes you able to play on his team. And he gives you greatness. This is Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great passage and the, the glory of your choosing men. Thank you, Father, that you have chosen us. And for those who don't know that they have been chosen, we ask, Father, that they will come to you for mercy. Find in you the choice of God to have them as part of your family. Father, choose them. Choose all of us. Choose us and give us the knowledge of having been chosen as the rock that we stand on in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.